Hey everyone, it's Pacific here with another episode of Margaret's Garden. And just a reminder, make sure you tune in next week and the week after that for episodes 9 and 10 of Margaret's Garden. Uh, we're wrapping up the season fast, and I think you guys are going to like what happens next. But without further ado, I introduce you to episode 8. When Eddie Everton was a non-commissioned officer serving on the European front, he saw his fair share of horrific sights. He wasn't alone in that. Many men and women who fought along the front witnessed the darkest shadows of humanity cast upon the ground there. But the things that the average soldier witnessed could never compare with the horror that befell Eddie that night. We remember the story, don't we? Behind enemy lines, the ancient forest, the hamlet out of space and time, Eddie's wandering leading him right to its unseen borders. And the horror there, the things of nightmares, bodies in states unimaginable, pulled inside out, torn, broken, a violence beyond the scope of humanity. That's what Eddie saw that night. At first he'd convinced himself that that's all that it was. A nightmare. But that was a lie. It didn't matter how many times he told himself, it would always be a lie. The truth was, for Eddie, that scene in the forest, it was his first waking moment. And all of his life before then, that was the dream. Eddie revisited the moment. That horrible moment when his waking life began. Over and over again. I felt the ground through my boots. It was warm, no hot. I... I was afraid that the soles of my boots were going to melt. That I'd be cemented right to the spot. I couldn't stop moving. The heat, it was compelling me, drawing me on. The bodies were everywhere, but there was something off to their final repose. They didn't didn't lay like the dead, no, they were, were frozen in place, stones of blood and gore, locked in their final act, forever bound to their violent end. They were sweeping the walk, tending to stock, minding the children at play. It was like death had come for them, caught them unaware, and then exacted its bloody vengeance. I had to keep walking. I kept telling myself that. Keep walking. That roiling heat coming up from the street. I didn't want to stop. I couldn't. My feet were burning. But why did I... Into the town. I... Why didn't I turn on my heel and run for the forest? That... that that's what a sane person would have done. He'd have run. I, I need a smoke. You didn't, Eddie, did you? No. You kept going, hearing things. It felt like like someone or something was calling, calling out or calling to me, something. And then there's the center and the, what was it, Eddie? Some kind of a town hall or a meeting house or what? Some kind of temple? Something definitely not built. I, 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 I don't know exactly. The doors are big, gilded. The temple is broken, though, so the doors are barely hanging on. And then I feel like somebody is watching me. I can feel a kind of clutching, like someone is pulling at me at my shoulder. And then... Where does he come from? He just materializes right in front of me. He was... He used to be a man, but he wasn't then. He was... His... Eyes that... Burn... Blacked sockets. That hanging flesh. My stomach, seeing him, it made me want... Ah! But I... 
Then he's reaching toward me. The hand. The bone showing beneath the scorched muscle. I can't move. I'm frozen like those corpses. And he has... It's... The book. He is... Handing me a book. My hand. It's reaching out. Mind of its own. Taking that book out of that cursed hand. When Eddie tells himself this little story, even he begins to doubt it. The surreal and nightmarish quality are almost too unbelievable to bear. Thankfully, his anchor to sanity is close at hand. Just under his bed is the red lockbox. Lying therein is the single item that dispels all the doubts that gather like clouds throughout the days and weeks. Inside the box is the physical proof that the story, his story, of that night is no phantasmagoria, but rather a plain truth. His truth. He gently lifts the book from the box and carefully opens it. He lets it fall open, watches the pages flash by, his eyes casting about the indecipherable runes, the fantastic illustrations of man, beast, and machine. The book falls shut, and he turns it over, rubbing his fingers over the seven symbols etched into the leather-bound cover. The leather, he keeps telling himself, is just leather, and nothing more. As he traces the symbols etched onto the cover, he can feel an unseen energy passing from the book and into his hands. The memory of that night flashes again in his mind, the man's final words hanging spilling out of that ruined face. He pushed the book into his hands, and then he said, She is the end of the beginning. The beginning of the end. Eddie pulls his hand off the book, like it was hot to the touch, which he thinks that maybe it was. His head is swimming now, so he lies back on his bed, willing the room to stop spinning. It doesn't matter if it's the bed in his old Brooklyn apartment, or a rundown motel outside of Topeka, or in the model city of Everton in the not-too-distant future. He has to keep telling himself the story of that night. He has to take the book in hand and feel its power. He has to open himself up to whatever future the book has laid out for him. He knows this. This, too, is his inescapable truth. What? I said I hate this! What? The wind is too... What? Never mind. Who's behind? Not behind. I... I said never mind. Never mind! I can't hear you! Even with the shortcut from the base to the near top of the Mountain King's Peak, it is still a treacherous climb. Especially when you have no climbing gear, no adequate winter wear, and you're wearing shoes better suited to city streets than mountain trails. Which is exactly what the agents have and don't have. But Agents Harris and Washington are a hale and hearty duo, and along with the baby cosmonaut slash sentient galaxy Pasha, who has now clung to Agent Harris's chest like a papoose, they keep pressing onward. I think we're almost there. What's where? There. The agents are very close to the peak now and it's been an arduous climb, to say the least. The last bit of the trail was especially punishing, and the agents were forced to do some highly technical climbing to get over the last rock face and onto the summit. Their hands have been mercilessly slashed and cut by the black and frozen rock of the last outcropping. Their faces and every other exposed inch of skin is already red and wind-burned in just the short time that they've been on the mountaintop. And to add insult to injury, Washington's Ann Taylor suit is now hopelessly soiled. There's just no getting out that outworld ash. They clamber up and over the final few rock features and stand on the summit, leaning into the wind, taking in the vista, when a strange thing happens. Well, that's fucking creepy. The wind has completely stopped. An unsettling stillness has filled the now silent space around them. No, no, no. What is it? No. 
What's going on, Wash? What's wrong with Pasha? I, I don't know. There... What's wrong, Posh? He's near. Who's near? What'd they say? They said he's near. Who's near? He's near. He's near. I'm Pasha. There you go. Okay, he's near. And I suppose we like the demonic-looking keep for where he is? Uh... Keep? Three o'clock. Carved into the mountain. It ain't small. Indeed. Not small at all. But well-designed. And very inconspicuous. It's not the high castle that the agents had seen from the base of the Mountain King's Mountain. Rather, it is a kind of mansion carved out of, or into, the living stone. Large ovaline windows and twisting Corinthian columns line the portico. It has been wrought in a clearly neoclassical style. Along the terrace and surrounding the near grounds stand what seem to be a small contingent of gargoyles. But these weren't gargoyles. They were... Fucking Nashers. Nashers. Harris. Nashers. I don't think... I... They aren't moving, or... I think they're, uh... Oh, what? Deactivated. Something is off about them. No pun intended. The Nashers! Don't worry about it, Posh. We got you this time. Harris, look sharp. Copy sharp. Don't worry, Pasha. Just hold tight. Baby Pasha has no problem with that. They're already clinging tightly to Harris's shirt and burrowing their helmeted head deep into the crook of his arm. The agents hold in place while they survey the ground, their weapons at the ready. It's one of those long moments that precede doing a thing that you really don't want to do. Naturally, there's little choice in those moments, but that doesn't change the impetus. Before they could plan their next move, though, the elaborate door of the keep swings open, and a man, dressed ridiculously in a pith helmet, a Hawaiian shirt, and two small blue-tinted sunglasses walks out onto the porch and waves to them. He smiles genially. Hello! Hello there! Is that... It's fucking Conway! Indeed it is. Roy Conway. Roy Vitruvius Conway, the architect, the builder, the man who almost single-handedly designed, perfected, and built most of the astral mechanical devices of Everton, with the help of the book, that is. The energy siphons, the power wells, even the elaborate portal generating device that ultimately both pulled and replicated Everton into and onto the astral plane is all the handiwork of this singular genius. Roy Conway. He stopped the waving, reached into the breast pocket, and pulled out a large eyedropper. The agents watch, completely agape, as Conway removes his glasses and dispenses several large drops of a pale green liquid directly into his exposed eye. This ain't Visine, folks. I prepared a light luncheon for us. Do come inside. Come inside, I'll be starting the wind up again, and trust me, you don't want to be out here when I do. It's been known to blow heads clean off of shoulders. True story. Conway turns and walks back in through the doors. Harris and Washington look at each other. Yikes. This is a trap, right? Seems likely. Do we go in? What's the play here? I think we go in. I've little doubt he's bluffing about the wind. And I'm sure he can crank these Nashers up anytime he wants, so... Right. Just stick close. Remember our mandate. Try not to get killed before we bring this turkey in. Okay. I am a bit hungry. Jesus, Harris, if this was a mystery that only a stomach could solve, we'd already be back home and writing up reports. I can't help it. I've got a really robust metabolism. It's... Save it. Just don't get distracted by the tapas. Oh, do you think there'll be tapas? Let's go, Harris. As the agents are making their way, let's take a little side trip and pop in and back to that now familiar model kitchen. The brand new appliances of the model cookie cutter homes in Everton were supposed to be top of the line. All the bells and whistles, as Ernie used to say. But let's be honest, folks. When you're buying your appliances in bulk from a wholesale appliance dealer named Dr. Deals, and that's the same Dr. Deals with the infamous catchphrase, the cure at the price that ails you. Well, 
Let's just say that maybe his appliances aren't going to be all that. I mean, is Maytug really a brand of washer and dryer? How about a twin-top stove with a built-in griddle by Kendamore? Or a brand new 21-inch silver-tone television set by Emerson? No, there was definitely some shady deals going on, and the products were just short of complete junk. Margaret learned this firsthand when her supposedly top-of-the-line dishwasher backed up and then violently exploded somewhere beneath the kitchen sink. Water, she explained to Ernie, was everywhere. Not to worry, he assured her, he'd send someone over to fix it right away. Don't despair. She was hoping it wouldn't be... Nathan Marves. Hey, at your service. No, thank you. I'd rather risk drowning. What's the matter, missus? You know very well what's the matter. I don't... I don't like you, Mr. Mars. I'm very sorry to be rude, but... You don't have to like me. I'm the official fix-it man around here, miss, and I... I thought you were the sheriff. Yup. What can I say? I'm a man of many hats. All two sizes too small. Ah, I see how it is. A sweet face and a bitter mouth. Just the same, the man of the house, he... I'll just be a minute, then. Excuse me. Now, wait just a minute, Mr. Mars. You're not welcome here. I'm afraid that I'll have to ask you... Look, missus, this is Ernie Everton's house. He's my boss. He calls me up. He says, go fix this, go fix that, and that's what I do. Your feelings on the matter are not my concern. I've got a job to do. Is that so? It is indeed. Now, if you'll excuse me... The kitchen is this way, right? Ah, I see you've redecorated the place. Let's just stick to the kitchen, Mars. Shall we? Mouthy. Does Ernie like that? A bossy dame? The dishwasher. The kitchen. You bossy in all the rooms? What are you insinuating? Insinuating? Don't even know what that word means. Hmm, no surprise there. You pretty funny, ain't you? Let's just see here. Where is that spinner wrench? You like tools, missus? I got every kind of tool that you can imagine. See here? Is that a gun? That? Oh, yes, it is. For protection. You know how it is. Protection? <laughs> I bet. I keep everything safe, little miss. Wasn't for me, this place would be overrun by freaks. You know what I mean? Freaks, huh? Yep, one of your buddies, I'm sure. From the other side, or the other place, or whatever Conway's calling it now. Fucking some kind of crazy cat spider thing, all dripping poison, hissing, and shaking like he was having a fit. Shot it right between the eyes. Dropped it like a sack of spuds. Oh. <laughs> oh, sure, I guess that would kind of bother you, wouldn't it? We're crushing them up on the regular. I personally put down quite a few of your little friends just lately. I can see you're really broken up about it. I'm just glad that they're not suffering after coming through like they do. Oh, I don't know. Sometimes they suffer. What do you mean? You know what I mean. I'm still speaking English, ain't I? Let me ask you something. What's that? This human skin you got. Does it have all the parts? Are you, uh... <laughs> Complete. You know, down there. Get out! Easy there, missus. Just making friendly conversation. No! Huh. Sensitive, aren't you? And just what are you going to do if I don't? You gonna zap me? I don't think so. I know all about your little chain. Conway told me all about it. You got no juice anymore. You're a rat. And I'm an exterminator. Like I said. Margaret may not have full use of her charms, but she does have full use of her limbs. She grabs a knife from the butcher's block, holding it lightly in her hand. She runs a finger along the honed edge of the blade. I know a lot about your kind, Mars. Did you know that? Is that a fact? It is indeed. For instance, did you know that your femoral artery is located midway between the anterior superior iliac spine and the symphysis pubis. Hmm. I nick that artery with my little friend here, and you'll bleed out faster than you can say, hand me my wrench. 
Now get the fuck out of my house. Well, let me just get my things together. Yes, you do that. By the way, I like the way you say pubis. Mars walks past Margaret and out the front door, swinging his toolbox as he goes. He turns at the last minute and gives her a little wink. See you around, missus. Margaret stares after him, her eyes needling into his receding back. She lets the knife fall from her hand and gasps. The gasp quickly turns into a throaty roar. <laughs> He'll get what's coming to him. She's feeling things that she hasn't felt in a long time. Emotions dark and dangerous. She grabs at her necklace, clenching her fist around it, desperate to remove it. Desperate to release herself from this prison. Desperate to put Mars into a deep and dank hole. Conway's handicraft, though, is maddeningly efficient. A thin pipe of smoke begins to rise from that clenched fist. The skin there smoldering until she can no longer bear the pain. Her legs buckle, and she collapses into a heap on the cold linoleum of the kitchen floor, the tears now flowing uninterrupted. But you know what they say. Time heals all wounds, and Margaret is a tough cookie, and there's no doubt that she'll be okay. We'll have to check back in on Margaret a little later, though. For now, let's go back to the agents. They've just been ushered into the grand solarium of Conway's Clifftop Mansion. True to his word, a light lunch has been laid out. So, we've got smoked duck here, some, I don't know, finger sandwiches, some cheese perhaps? I don't remember what kind. From the farm. Did you know we have farms? Self-sufficient community ours. Go on, try it. What is this? Egg salad? Uh, yes, indeed it is. With a hint of paprika. There's nothing better than farm-fresh produce. Don't you agree? How's your little friend over there? They're fine. Uh, Pasha's, uh, taking a little nap. Of course. They've had, um, quite the little accident, haven't they? You'd know. It was your Nashers. Yes, yes. Let's not... not just yet. Let's eat first. Please, go ahead and grab a few things and let me show you a little bit of what I've been up to. Please. Fine. The agents don't trust Conway, it's true. But natural urges. You can only go so long without a tasty bite. We all know that. The agents stack up their plates and follow Conway into the bowels of the mansion. They make their way into an expansive ballroom. All along the edges of this grand space, and even hanging from the vaulted ceilings, are numerous examples of his monstrous creations. Nashers, tithers, and innumerable other piecework denizens of the astral world, all fitted and transformed with mechanical parts, stand frozen in assorted poses of valorous battle. Conway smiles as he gestures to the monstrosities. Ah, my art! Is that what you're calling it? More like monsters. Well, you know what they say. Everyone's a critic. I realize you've been on the wrong side of my work, Seer. Your criticism is completely understandable. As far as I can tell, what you've done here is created an army of mindless monsters out of the sentient inhabitants of the Outworld. Does that about sum it up? Come now. They're hardly mindless. They're actually remote-controlled. Sort of. They follow a very sophisticated root code program. Wind-up hunters, if you will. Seventeen unique types. You know the Nashers, and likely you've had a run-in or two with the Tithers. These models over here, though, these are my newest creations. The Janissary. And here, the Strelsi. Conway pulls the dropper from his shirt pocket again as he continues along. He stops briefly to squeeze two fat drops of that sickly green liquid into his eye. Conway and the agents come to a small dining table, set at the far end of the Great Hall. He gestures with his hand, and then collapses into a chair and crosses his legs. Sit, sit, please. We've got a lot to discuss. We do, do we? Well, you're really not our favorite person right now. Right, I get it. I can only imagine what you think of me. The picture that they paint of me. Less than flattering. Let me guess. I'm some kind of... Mad scientist, right? A colonizer? 
A usurper, right? I've heard it all before. But you should know, it hasn't been easy. Not for me. For us. Not after the, uh, great mistake. The great mistake? Yes, the great mistake. Coming here. It was a huge mistake. Is that a fact? It is. Not that I knew, mind you. I would have never. We could have been perfectly happy. We walked right into her mm. trap. Mm. Mm. Oh, man. This doc. Paris, keep it together. Right. Right. He's horrible. I get it. That doesn't change the doc. The boy is right. And Agent Washington, let me assure you, I have nothing against your race. Oh, boy. Thanks, Conway. I'll be sure to keep that in mind. You know, a lot has changed since Everton jumped. Yes, yes, I know. We connected, you know. Remember? When you and your little friend were spying on me from their bowling alley memory tower? Yeah, right. Connected? As I recall, you sent a squad of Nashers to kill us. I did. I did. And I'm sorry for that. It was a little short-sighted, I'm afraid. It is a particularly dangerous time right now, though. She has been... How can I say this? She has been very active as of late. It's impossible to know who to trust. Who's that? Margaret? That's right. So is this the part where you give us the supervillain speech? Tell us how you'll conquer Earth by bringing Everton back from the astral plane and sucking this place dry? No, nothing so cliché as all that. But that's not... that's all wrong. You've got it all wrong. Do we? You do. I swear it. I'm not saying that we haven't made some mistakes. Truth be told, we've handled a good deal of our colonization poorly. But I swear, we didn't mean to. I mean, we had good intentions. Yeah, the path to hell is laid with good intentions, isn't it? Right. No doubt about that. And it's easy to see our colonizing poorly in hindsight. I get that. But we didn't have the benefit of hindsight when we first arrived. You shouldn't have come at all. You don't know this, but you've broken about three dozen agency laws. Fair enough. But what was this place before we got here? It was nothing. There was nothing. We made it into something. Is it all good? No, maybe not, but it isn't the empty nothing that it was. It wasn't nothing, Conway. Just because you can't see it or feel it or hear it, doesn't mean that it's nothing. You've corrupted a world that existed beyond your painfully ignorant understanding. It's easy for you to judge Agent Washington. Now, after all that has transpired. But you've got to understand, we're not here by chance. Us landing here, it wasn't blind luck. You see that, don't you? There's more going on here than you can see, too. You'd like to believe that. It's true. Are you familiar with the story of Pandora, Agents? The Greek myth? Pandora? Sure. This girl, she gets this box from the gods. They tell her not to open it, but she's too curious, so she opens it anyways. And all the sins and terrible things start pouring out. She shuts it just in time to save hope, though. And so, there's still hope, even with all the bad things getting out. Something like that. Okay, first, it's a jar, not a box. That's a medieval mistranslation. But that's neither here nor there. The story is actually very different than that. That's the watered-down version. Pandora wasn't just any girl. She was created by Zeus. Or rather, Zeus had Hephaestus, the blacksmith god, create her. Zeus gave Hephaestus very specific instructions about how to craft Pandora. She was to be the most alluring, most desirable creature ever imagined. Why, you may ask? It's quite simple. Because she was a trap. A trap for mankind. She was a punishment for mankind stealing the fire of the gods. You see, Zeus created Pandora, and then he gifted her to King Epimetheus as a wife. He sent her to him with her jar of evils. Epimetheus, enamored by Zeus's gift, wed her, loved her, and then sat silently by as she unleashed the evils into the world of men. It was a plague on mankind. It was the righteous retribution of Zeus for humanity's theft of the fire. She was no innocent girl. She was a weapon of mass destruction. Plain and simple. Great story. So what? You're saying Margaret was what? 
Sent as a punishment? Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. Why was she sent? I don't get it. She was sent to draw us here, to use us. Use you? You're using them. We've seen the camps, Conway. We've seen the chapel. We know what you're up to. That's what you see. But what about all you don't see? Do you see us trapped? See the shrinking space of this place? See how time has broken down? Okay. It's not just this place is breaking down. There are far more sinister plans being laid. Have you considered my people? The Evertonians? Have you wondered at all why we're not aging? Or why we can't bear children? How about why we can't leave? We are frozen in time here, Agent Washington. We are trapped. Yeah, serves you right. You think so, Agent Harris? Think again. We're only the guinea pigs. The astral plane, these creatures that you've grown so fond of. It, they, they're studying us. Discovering our weaknesses, exploiting our flaws. And it's only just begun. It's us now. We wandered into the trap, but don't kid yourselves. It doesn't end with us. Where does it end? You already know, Agent. The ultimate goal is the destruction of humanity. The destruction of the Earth. All of it. Complete annihilation. Pandora's jar. Is it a fly trap or a lab, Conway? You're mixing your metaphors. She's the beginning and the end. I'll bet you've heard that, haven't you? Let me guess. You two are here to rescue Margaret? Was it the story of the Grail Knights again? She is the wounded Fisher King that needs saving from the evil mage? Oh, you two are so heroic, so noble in spirit, so brave indeed, right? Maybe. Give me a break. What do you mean again? What's that mean? There have been twelve, count them, twelve attempts to save her. And what became of them? All those brave warriors? They're gone, agents. Buried at that chapel near the Mountain King's hut. Who knows how long they've been there, or what's happened to them. But they're laid in front of that chapel, I can promise you that. Twelve? Who? What twelve? Our agency has no record of any additional agents deployed to- Your agency isn't the only game in town, Washington. I'm sure you're aware of that. That's not even the point. You're still thinking inside the box. This place, this place is outside the box. But why? Why is she... What could she possibly have to gain Don't by... you get it? She's learning our tactics. The most secretive groups, the most highly trained professionals, the... It's right in front of your face. Margaret cares about one thing, agents. Margaret. She used Ernie. She used Eddie. She used me. Wait a second. This is all pretty convenient for you. If you're the victim here, why are you creating these monsters? Why are you creating the concentration camps? You seem pretty taken by your little experiments just a minute ago, and now you're the exploited one? I'm calling bullshit. I think you're the fucking monster. <laughs> Agent Harris, I love your passion. I love your righteous indignation. Your zeal. Yes, I have missed the passion that we once had. Oh, go fuck yourself, Conway. Harris, go easy. Come on. Fuck this guy, Wash. What about the Mountain King, you prick? What about his daughters? What about all the outworlders that you're harvesting like cotton? Ah, whataboutism. I love it. I'll play too. What about my people? When we first arrived, we had over 3,000 families. Now we number less than 500 souls. Why not ask the Evertonians that have fallen victim to the outworlders? Ask me. How many of my people the Snakelings have murdered and devoured? Ask me how many of my people have disappeared without a trace. Ask me how many have died in the bombing. It's not black and white here. And how many did you kill? How many do you keep killing to power your city? They're not human, Agent Harris. They're not even real in the way you're thinking. They're not dying, you fool. How could they? They just... just ugh. How do you explain the sky to a mole? How about I just put one right between your eyes, huh? How's that, Conway? I'll sort it all out after you're gone. How's that sound? I thought you were the good guys, right? The noble knights errant. I'm completely defenseless, unarmed. I've nothing but a few slices of charcuterie. Don't feed me your line of bullshit, Conway. You're no lamb, and I'm no wolf. But I do have a directive to carry out. It's nothing personal. Pity. I'd hope that we could... Wash, he caught it. Did you see that? 
I'm not blind, Harris. Do you feel better now, Agent Washington? Not especially. Nothing to worry about. I understand your anger, and I know all about imperatives and obligations and directives. It doesn't matter, though. I've seen the future. It doesn't end well for me. Perhaps you'll take some solace in that. Still asleep, right? Keep your fucking distance, Conway. Don't worry, Harris. This little one isn't much to me. I already have plenty to keep me- Plenty of what? What is that shit you're dropping into your eyes? Let us visit my studio, yes? How about you go fuck yourself? Quite the foul mouth on you, huh, Agent Washington? No, I don't think I will. How did you put it, fuck myself? But you've already come this far, and I've pleaded my case. And now we can conclude our business. Don't you want to see into the belly of the beast? Conway strolls over to a line of busts. He stops in front of a bust of Nietzsche. He pushes his finger into the left eye, and a door just to his right swings open. When the door opens, a low hum begins to emit from the lined-up monstrosities. You'll want to come along, agents. My pets are activated by my departure, and they would revel in tearing you apart. <laughs> As Bugs Bunny would say, Ain't I a stinker? Conway gives the agents a final wink, and then disappears down the newly opened passageway, into that proverbial belly of the beast. Elsewhere in time and space, a younger, handsomer, and much more deliberate Conway talks with Eddie Everton. It was a long time ago. Conway would be the first to tell you that. But sometimes those pivotal conversations, those that have long passed, can still have lingering consequences. The energy will flow up to the rotunda, out into the main square, and then through the dispensation actuator, which should create a stable field? Am I getting that right? Yes, you got it. We should have a completely seamless energy dispensation, more than adequate for transporting everything we'll need. And it's safe. Uh, yes. No doubt about it. It'll be a bit like touching the book, but on a mass scale. A tingle, maybe. Little else. Promise. I'm worried about Korea. Don't be. How can you be so sure? About Korea? You already know. It's the book. The book is revealing more to me than it ever has in the past. It's almost like speeding up. Or maybe opening up. Guiding us. I don't know. I... I keep wondering if it's safe. The book. The book used to be... I, I could read it. I remember it giving Ernie and I picks on horses, lottery numbers, sports winners. It... It all seemed like a miracle, but then it... I don't know, it just stopped. We're past all that now. Money is going to be a distant memory. Ernie says... This isn't about what Ernie says, or thinks, or what his lady friend thinks. I don't know, I, I've just got a bad feeling. Okay, you've got a bad feeling. That's natural. We're getting ready to break about a hundred laws of physics, and are set up to step into an unknown world. Right. Do you remember when you first contacted me about the book? What did I say to you? That you'd been waiting for my call. That's right. I was. I didn't even realize it. Until I picked up the receiver, I had no idea who you were. I sure as hell didn't know anything about a magic book. But the second I picked up that phone, I knew everything. I knew who you were. I knew about Everton. I knew... I knew about the book. I saw it. In my mind's eye, like it was being projected right into my mind. I remember. And now here we are. We are on the verge of making history. On the border of an undiscovered country. On the cusp of realizing the peace and safety that you long for. Yes, of course you're right, Conway. I just, you know, sometimes I just worry. I still think about the forest. Those hollowed out eyes. What's that? What? You goddamn bastards! What? Whoa, whoa! Ernie, calm down! What's going on here? Calm yourself down, Conway! Where the hell is Nathan Mars? I want him fired! I want him dead! This... this violence... I can't... You'll have to excuse me. You're not going anywhere, Conway! He's your dog! You call him, and he comes running! Where is he? Ernie, Ernie, what the hell is the matter? What are you going on about? That podunk yahoo threatened my wife. She's not your- Don't, Eddie. I'm not in the mood. He came into my house. He insulted her. And then he threatened her. I want him here. I want him now. I well, want- From what I heard, she came at him with a knife. What you heard? Is that what you heard? 
Oh, well, I do apologize then. My mistake. I guess I've got it all wrong. Now just calm down, Ernie. I will not calm down. You're playing with fire, Conway. I hope you see that. I don't know what you're up to. With... with these others coming through the cracks. But I know one thing. Whatever it is... It's trouble. You're killing... You can't kill them. They're not people. They're nothing. Less than nothing. Eat an egg! Conway, please, give me a minute with my brother. But the conduits, we need to... A moment, please. Fine. Ernie. No! I don't want to hear it, Eddie. This is way over the line. Just hear me out, please. Whatever. What? What is it? I know that ever since Conway arrived, a lot has changed. Our plans for the town. The possibilities of what we thought. Us. I mean, I know this. What? What do you mean? What are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is... I know about how much you've invested of yourself in this town. Your designs. All the work you've done bringing the people here. That's not the... I dream the dreams. You make them real. I wouldn't... We wouldn't be anywhere without you. All of this. This town. I can barely get the ideas out of my goddamn head. It's us. Together. We're a team. Yes, exactly. And as much as you might disagree, Conway is a part of that too. Conway. That creep. We need him, Ernie. The work that he's doing. Even the work that he's doing with our visitors. It's important work, critical to our success. He is harvesting these creatures like... I know exactly what he's doing. What I get from the energy that he's harvesting is the same as what you're getting from Margaret. Oh, Eddie. But is that right? I mean, what we're doing? There's so much killing. I don't know if it's right, Ern. I don't think it's wrong, though. I don't know if it's like pulling fish from the sea or oil from the ground, but it's a resource. A badly needed resource. But these... These creatures, they're... they're alive, Eddie. They're... So are the fish. I think that these creatures are more than fish. Well, maybe you're right. That's why... well... I've been thinking. Maybe we've been going about this all wrong. How's that? It came to me the other night when you had me over for dinner. Margaret and all that talk about her world. What about it? Just stay with me for a beat. What would you say if I told you that I think there might be a way for us to go there? Not just you and I, but all of us. The whole town. I'd say... You're crazy. Crazy, that's right. It would be. It is. Not just crazy. More like impossible, right? That seems like the right word. Except... Well, the book has started to speak again. It's been a while, right? After all that flurry right when we started building out Everton. But now it's opening up again. This time for Conway. And... It is pointing him in a very specific direction. A direction with little ambiguity. The book wants us to... do this. To... attempt this. To do what? Transport the whole town? To... wherever? The moon? I know how it sounds, trust me, but... I need you, Ernie. Right now especially. You've been with me all along. You've trusted me and the book. You know how powerful the book is. I just... I just need you to trust me. I do, Eddie. You know I do. You're my brother. My big brother. I'd follow you to the gates of hell. Brotherly love. It is a tie that binds. No doubt about that. And Ernie... Well, he may just very well find himself at those very gates. Hey everyone, it's Pacific here with a quick ad break. And a reminder, if you don't like ads and you don't want to listen to them, we offer early and ad-free versions of all Midnight Disease productions at midnightdisease.net slash join. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. Let's check back in with Agents Washington and Harris. The problem isn't how or why. The problem is when. When? That's right. When. This whole dimension runs outside of linear time. When are you from? When are we from? We're from 2021. 2021? Fascinating. A while back a conquistador appeared, right by the blue cliffs. Furious fellow, that one, but he didn't last long. 
Another time she brought some New York City cops from the 60s, I think it was. They fight a little better, but, well. Then there were the infantry soldiers. Crimean War, maybe? Uh, that's what we were thinking. This place doesn't make much sense, chronologically speaking. So, how long has it been for you? How long do you think you've been here? Six, seven, uh, thousand years, maybe? Give or take? Or, it could be less. It's impossible to tell. Seven thousand years? Like I said, it's impossible to tell. So what, you come here, drop your shitty little cookie-cutter town right in the middle of the map? And then what? Spend the next 6,999 years exploiting the natives? That's a very simplistic way to look at it, Agent Washington. But surely you can imagine. An unending life, the years passing, the endless decades and centuries and millennia. It is no great blessing to live without end. That's why we want to go home. Those of us that remain, we want to finish our lives like men and women, not like forgotten gods. And take over the world? Take over the world? Nothing so melodramatic as all that. That's not to say we wouldn't bring back what we've learned in our time here back with us. We would, for the benefit of all mankind, naturally. Hmm. Naturally. But, as I said, the when is the problem. Is it? It is. We've sent some trial probes to test the technology we've created. I'll show you the dish. It's been a lugubrious process thus far, and one with no success as of yet. One probe landed in New York, just before the first Viking ships arrived in the New World. One landed in the Great Rift Valley about 600,000 years before the rise of Homo sapiens. One in Rome circa 365 BC. One actually came pretty close, the 1880s. St. Louis area, we think. We have the resources, the power to return, but we need guidance. The compass. GPS. Come again? Uh, GPS. Global positioning system. Fancy maps. After your time. How's it work? Don't tell him. Yes, don't tell me. It'll only give me hope, and I can't bear to hope. Not anymore. Only sacrifices can save us now. Ah, uh, here we are. My studio! Conway opens the door to his studio. The agents follow him inside, and are shocked by what they see. Conway's studio is more a butcher shop, or exploded calculator, than studio. There are outworld creatures preserved in jars, and in various stages of dissection. There are innumerable widgets, gears, and other mechanical contrivances scattered and piled all over the place. A large curtain is covering an extended workspace in the center of the room, and an enormous clockwork-like structure with a shining silver plate fills the far wall. Here is the end of the road. Is that a fact? I'm just glad I got to taste the ichor. Just that one time. The ichor? Ah, it doesn't matter now. How's the little fella doing? Still asleep? Yes. Why? Well, this ought to wake him up. Hoopla! With that... Conway tugs at the curtain covering the table. Underneath is Pasha's once beautiful, expansive, celestial body. It is split down the middle and pinned open like an autopsied corpse. Small tubes are connected all along the body, and the fluid of Pasha's infinite space is being collected in small jars. The agents see right away that the fluid is the same as that which Conway has been dispensing into his eyes. Jesus what Christ! The fuck? No, no! He awakes! Our destiny is sealed! The book showed me this moment! It's finally. I am. I am. Pasha! Pasha's screams. Wowzers. Here we go again, folks. Space and time do their wavering dance around Pasha, and this time Matter gets in on the act and begins collecting just beyond their open and screaming mouth. The Matter is spinning, infinitely fast, coalescing into a small pulsing orb, a molten sphere glowing red with unimaginable heat. The Compass! Conway reaches past Harris and grabs the red-hot sphere. The heat is so intense that his body instantly combusts. Holy fuck! Get out of the way, Harris! Walking now, staggering, completely ablaze, Conway makes his way to the giant clockwork contraption along the far wall of his studio. He is just able to put the sphere into a giant silver dish before his hand is completely incinerated. The dish lights up. 
and then vanishes. All for you, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. May you find your... Conway isn't going to be able to finish this final heartfelt statement. All the boiling flesh. Pasha is also bubbling and churning, doing their own boiling thing. Their chubby little baby form and their old trashed and gnashed body are beginning to fuse, connecting and disconnecting, creating a serious ripple in the space-time continuum. Reality is bending and warping now, and the agents are frozen in place, unsure what to do. The whole scene is collapsing, erupting in color and sound and touch. The agents are thrown through 87 hues and 49 delectable tastes. They witness seven good memories, eight embarrassing ones, and they awake on a small bit of barren rock, wiping the taste of a delicious chocolate cake from their lips. It's all pretty fucked up and a little disorienting. They look up and looming before them is a castle, the very castle that they've been looking for. What? What in the fuck just happened? Where's Pasha? I think Pasha just blew up or... I don't know, I... I think I just relived the time I wet my pants at school. Jesus, man, this place is a trip. No doubt about that. Um... Do you think Pasha... is still, um... alive? Weren't we looking for a castle? Oh. Um, I think so. The High Castle. A ribbon of aurora surrounds them, and then snakes off through the sky and circles around the castle, and dips down into the central courtyard. Okay, that must be the sign. I guess we're going to the fucking castle. Margaret's Garden was written by Pacific S. Obadiah and Jonathan Goldberg. Script editing done by Frankie Serrano. Our narrator was Graham Rowitz. Margaret was Jordan Cobb. Ernie was Atticus Jackson. Eddie was Zach Labrusco. Washington was Risa M. Harris was Russell Moore. Pasha was Tanya Miliovic. Conway was Anver Mahmood. Mars was Eric Kemp. Our composer is the incredible Danny Sweet. And I'm your sound designer, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our producers are Brad Miska and Tom Owen. Visit margaretspodcast.com for more information. 